Welcome to Living a Better Life podcast with your host, Madeline Golick. This is a weekly podcast exploring a variety of topics on how you can live a better life, not just physically, but in all aspects of what it means to be human living in a modern world. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not replace professional or medical advice. This podcast is sponsored by Ecophysiotherapy, where their mission is to educate, empower, and rehabilitate you back to health. Without further ado, please enjoy the show. Welcome back, everybody, to the podcast. It is my great pleasure to chat with colleague and friend, fellow pelvic floor physiotherapist about, you know, birth and labor and postpartum and like what it's like to be a new mom in crazy times. So I'm going to welcome Melissa Wong to the show. Welcome. Welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, Well, you know, I'm excited to chat with you. I mean, this is kind of like nice and fresh kind of in your mind. And I just want to hear from like, I mean, obviously I have my experience as a pelvic floor physio going through labor and birth, but I like to talk with Uh others about theirs. So before we dive into it, I figure um, that we should chat about like giving an, let me speak English. Let introduce yourself and tell me why you got into pelvic health is what I was trying to say, but clearly English is not working for me today. Yeah. So I've been doing pelvic health for the past seven years now. Um, most, you probably noticed the same thing, but most physios that go into pelvic health, it's usually Um, after they've had their own kids and they are dealing with their own issues of incontinence or pain. And then they kind of delve into the pelvic health world. Um, In my case, actually, I started pelvic health shortly after school. Um, And it was more so out of interest because, you know, in school, we learned that the back is closely connected to the pelvic floor. And as we kind of screen for red flags, we often will ask, are you having any bowel or bladder problems? And more often than not, people would say, oh, I you know, I just, I had a really big baby or I'm just getting older and I, I can't exercise the same way I used to. Um, but I don't know if that's related to my back pain. And then the more and more I started seeing that, I was like, you know, I should probably learn a little bit something about the pelvic floor because I knew there was this pelvic floor that existed, but I didn't know anything about it. So that's kind of when I got into the pelvic health world. Um, So it's been a very different journey for me because I know a ton about the pelvic floor and then being pregnant, preparing for my own labor and delivery, and then recovering from that labor and delivery has been um, a very different perspective probably than what other people have gone through as well. Yeah, it's interesting because similarly, like I, I got into pelvic health before I had ever been pregnant or had children. So I, I kind of feel like, you know, I, I feel like really grateful that I have the, like that I had the knowledge that I had going into, um, into that. And, um, but yeah, like I got into pelvic health, you know, for an uh, other unrelated, um, reason, but, um, yeah, it's so cool to like learn about these things and then have that knowledge going into, you know, your own pregnancy, labor, birth, and then like postpartum journey. Right. And like really seeing the positive impacts from our own perspective of like, yes, you know, like it works. Yeah, it works. But also like, 
oh, this is what someone means when they feel vaginal heaviness, or <laughs> this is what it feels like, you know, to be trying to stretch your perineum at 37 weeks. And that's what that burning feeling is feeling like. So um, it's been a humbling experience for myself, for sure. Um, but definitely super interesting as well. Yeah. So maybe let's, let's kind of like, let's talk about um, your pregnancy. Were you, um, were you experiencing any of the common things that we typically see like pelvic girdle pain, low back pain, or incontinence? Did you experience any of that like throughout your pregnancy? Yeah, luckily um, I did not. Um, And I think again, having the knowledge um, of what the recommendations are from the Society of Obstetricians and Gynecologists when it comes to exercise. I think being a physio, we tend to really value movement and exercise. So I knew that was gonna be a big part of my pregnancy and I tried as much as possible to keep that up during my own pregnancy. Um, I knew about things like how to roll in bed efficiently, how to manage any pelvic girdle pain. So I, again, um, I'm very thankful for all of the knowledge that I had going into the pregnancy. Um, In terms of incontinence, I think I had one episode of stress incontinence, which kind of caught me off guard a little bit as well. It usually Um, does. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So yeah, luckily, I felt really good. I was able to exercise during my pregnancy. I was still running up until about, um, I want to say about 20 weeks or so before I kind of thought, you know, I should modify my own exercise. And I was able to find movements in in other ways that still felt really good for my body. So again, I'm very thankful for that. Question for you. So were you physically like, were you physically active and exercising prior to pregnancy? I was and I tried to keep up with a lot of the same things that I was doing. Okay, so you weren't Um, starting something new. No, no. But again, the good thing is, and you probably know this already, but for all of your listeners out there who are pregnant, that it is 100% completely safe and completely effective to start an exercise program during pregnancy. Um, So I think that's one of those big things where often people will ask, like, can I do this? Can I start exercising? But I find that pregnancy is the time when a lot of people want to start exercising, but they often just don't know what to do. So I think, again, having that knowledge as a, as a physio can be very helpful as well. Um, but yes, I was active before pregnancy. Okay. For sure. And then you said around 20 weeks, you began to, um, to modify, uh, what, like, what, how did you modify? What were you sort of thinking when you made that modification? Was it just kind of going with the feeling in your body? Like, oh, you know what? Things are getting a little bit more difficult. Like maybe I'll walk instead of run. Um, And was it just walking, running? Uh, Were you doing any weight training? Like what was, what did your exercise consist of? Yeah, so I was, I was going to the gym a few times a week. I was definitely still running on a treadmill throughout my pregnancy. Um, And then Again, I hear a lot from clients where they're quite active and then just the weight of the belly starts getting a little bit more uncomfortable. And I wouldn't even say it was uncomfortable for me, but I was just getting a lot more short of breath, a lot faster. And um, that's when I decided I was going to just go into do a little bit more walking. Um, I definitely still kept up with some of the strength training. Um, But again, as you know, towards the end of my pregnancy was kind of when 
the world shut down and we kind of hit the pandemic. So a lot of that towards the end of my pregnancy definitely went out the window a little bit more. So I definitely was not as physically active towards the end of my pregnancy, partly because of fatigue and partly because of, you know, everything else going on in the world. Um, and I listened to my body and I'm okay with that for sure. Yeah. So, so you, you know, you tried to sort of stay as active as, as you, um, could now like you know i'm just trying to think of like somebody who's pregnant right now who may not be very physically active that wants to get active like should their first go to be running or like heavy duty weightlifting or like you know high intensity interval training is that you know if you know when you talk to your clients about being physically active in pregnancy like how do you approach how do you think about that or how, what's the clinical thinking before you make a recommendation on like exercise yeah my number one thing is i will always ask you know what do you want to do what because again it's going to be very hard to get someone to run if they absolutely hate running. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so exercise and, and movement in general should be something that someone enjoys doing that they um, like to do and that they can see themselves doing as well. Because if, if I'm trying to get a non runner to run, or I'm trying to get someone that hates yoga, <laughs> to try to do yoga and to try to stretch, that's not going to happen. Um, so it's definitely important to figure out, you know, what does that look like? Cause that's going to be very different for everyone. And then I'll usually ask, you know, what kind of time frame can you carve out for yourself for exercise? Is it stuff that we need to be maybe building in throughout someone's day to get a little bit more activity in, or do they want, you know, half an hour of a dedicated program to do, um, to, to actually get moving. So those are all really important things that I ask about. Um, and I will always, always, always um, recommend strength training as well during pregnancy, because I think often people think, oh, I just need to be loosey goosey. And I need to think about stretching, stretching, yoga, prenatal yoga, not to say that yoga is a bad thing. But I think it's really important. And we definitely underestimate how much strength we're going to need to hold you know, this growing baby up for the next nine months, but also carrying baby postpartum, caring for a baby, how much time you're going to be spent on the floor, getting up and down off the floor. So I will always recommend, you know, the people who are keeping their legs strong, they're keeping their arms strong, because the more we can prepare for that in pregnancy, the better it will be as well. The way I, you know, I, I kind of think back to my, you know, my labor and I, and I think about when ladies, you know, are looking back and I'm asking them about their labor and they're like, okay, I started at 10. And then like, I finished that X amount of time. This is like, this is a full on like marathon labor. Like mm -hmm. just thinking about the sheer amount of energy, strength and endurance to keep going like no other, you know, generally speaking, even if you're super fit, nobody works out for eight hours straight. Yes. Right. Like this is, I know this is like, man, it takes so much. And like, you can optimize your ability to, to be with it more effectively. And I mean, I'm like, I've read studies that, you know, being physically fit improves labor. Yeah. Right, because you can actually go, you know, you have the energy and the strength and endurance to stay with it, right? Mm -hmm. But no other event does somebody, you know, work out, quote unquote, I am using air quotes, work out. Um, but <laughs> like no other event that I can think of that requires 
that long, that much energy. Yes. It's something that you need to prepare for physically. It's something that you need to prepare for mentally. Um, And again, I think often people underestimate how much that will take out of you as well. Yeah, like incredible amounts of of energy to do that. So, So basically you were active throughout pregnancy, had a good pregnancy, like you know kind of what, I mean, you know how to get in and out of bed, you know how to move, and that oftentimes will reduce um, the stress and strain on the SI, um, more the pelvis and the low back. So you were kind of like doing all the things that was sort of already ensuring that like, you don't quite develop that problem, right? Like you were, you were risk mitigating. Absolutely. And just having that knowledge of, of better ways to move and how to move mindfully and being able to listen to my body, I think really helped set me up for very smooth pregnancy. Were you doing your pelvic floor exercise during pregnancy? I tried to. As physios, we are often not the best patients of ourselves. Um, But again, I actually did have a few prenatal physio sessions booked myself. But then again, because I I delivered right in the pandemic, I ended up up canceling all of them because of the pandemic and I couldn't actually continue with them. Oh man, this pandemic is uh, certainly, you know, uh, caused quite the, uh, quite the issue. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So, so let's like, okay. So pretty good, you know, pregnancy, staying fit, you know, only one leak event. Um, mm-hmm. And then I, I'm sure that prompted you to think about, Oh, should probably uh, pay attention to this. Um <laughs> So let's talk about like labor, like what were you doing to prepare? Were you doing anything specific to prepare for like labor? Um, You know, how did your labor go? What were some of the challenges? What were some of the unexpected things that, you know, despite being a physio knowing about these things, like, was there anything surprising to you about the labor? That's like, it's like four questions in one. Yeah, there was, we could probably go in tons of different directions yeah. here. Um, so leading up to labor and delivery, um, my husband knew that I was going to have him try some perineal massage with me. Um, so again, for those of your listeners who don't know what that means, um, generally we're trying to gently massage, well, I guess not that gently, but the area between the vagina and the anus to try to create a little bit more flexibility in that tissue to help facilitate Um, some stretching of the tissue to mitigate the risk of tearing and the need for an episiotomy. Um, So I definitely had him start that at around 36 weeks um, of my pregnancy. Luckily, again, I'm very good at teaching people how to do that. So luckily, I was able to walk him through it. Um, We were doing it, you know, a few times a week to try to prepare for labor and delivery, which was interesting. I think that definitely helped. Um, And then when labor, when I actually started going into labor, I knew, you know, this was going to be a long process. I didn't tell him, you know, I kind of, I woke up in the middle of the night feeling the contractions and I thought, you know, I could wake up and tell him, but I thought, you know, like he's going to jump into a panic. So I just kind of left it at that point. (laughs) And then come seven o'clock the next day, I kind of told him, I was like, yeah, I've been having contractions through the, through the night. Um, 
And then that's when he started into his little frenzy and whatnot. Um, knowing that we were going to be delivering in a pandemic and part of my own kind of goals for birth was that I knew I wanted to labor at home um, for as long as I could. I knew I wanted to try upright birthing positions or laboring positions um, using gravity assistance and, and whatnot. So I kind of did that as much as I could throughout the day. So you did and that at then, home. So this was all at home. This was all at home. So I labored until about 5 p.m. that night at home. Um, contractions were still kind of far apart. They were long. They were a, a minute long, but they were still, you know, about five minutes apart. And they still thought that, you know, I wasn't quite there yet. I think I was maybe between five and seven minutes or so. And they were kind of very sporadic. So they kept saying, you know, I don't think it's ready. I don't think it's time. And then at about 5 p.m., that's when um, they said, okay, yeah, let's, let's get you into the hospital and see. So again, at this point, I still thought that I was going to, you know, maybe try not to have an epidural, maybe try these upright birthing positions, try a lot of these breathing techniques that, again, I'd been practicing. Um, you know, I had read a whole bunch of the, like the birthing books. Um, I read about hypnobirthing and I was trying to get in the right mindset, which is, again, a huge part of a lot of what we teach as well. Um, so I felt quite prepared, but those contractions, man, they were strong. So when you first, when the, when you first felt your contraction, how would you describe that feeling? It was like a very, very strong gripping, like gradual gripping sensation, I would say. Again, it feels like forever ago. And I think often people will often say like, I don't even remember. I cannot Um, for the life of me. Like I know how intense it was, but I cannot bring forth a very clear image or memory of the sensations of labor. Like I knew it was intense. I remember moments of it, but I cannot, I mean, thankfully, thankfully this is evolutionarily built in because we may not have children afterwards, right? Like <laughs> yes. it's pretty, it's pretty intense, but I cannot even like really shortly after it was like, I cannot bring forth the memory of the sensations. Yeah. I think that's part of like the whole tra- tra- traumatic process of labor and delivery. We are wired to not remember a lot of that stuff. Because, again, I don't think we would have kids in the future, but um, it's intense. It's just it's intense. Not necessarily. I mean, everybody's going to have varying levels of what they consider pain or and and discomfort. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm curious because, you know, it sounded like, you know, you were having these sporadic contractions for quite a long time before you actually went to the hospital. Like what were some of your comfort measures? Like, what were the things that you were doing just to stay in that good mindset? You know, what, you know, obviously upright standing for, for using gravity assisted, like laboring positions that just kind of, did that come naturally to you? Like, did you just want to be in these upright positions or was it that I would say no. Okay. Yeah. I think for some people it, it, it does for myself, it, did not necessarily and that's a good question again I'm trying to think back to it now nine months ago it's a little bit hard um yeah I I don't think it did I definitely found a lot of comfort being on my hands and knees um and I was kind of like leaning over like the foot of our bed and I found that to be the most comfortable 
I definitely did not like this, like being in a squatted position. Um, and I, I like like being staggered stance, like leaning on, on something. Those were kind of my big things. I remember trying to, did I take a bath? I can't remember. At one point I was like, I need a distraction. And we actually started running a bath at home and I was mm-hmm. like, okay, I just, I need to go to the bathroom. And then I, you know, I said to my midwife, I was like, listen, like, I really want to push. Like I really, I, it's, it's like this uncontrollable urge. She's like, okay, let's just check. So this is like, just before I could even get in, she's like, you're eight centimeters. It's time to get to the hospital. Ah. I was like, oh, okay. Um, but that was like, that was going to be the next thing for like that comfort was like, I just want to be submerged in water. Uh-huh. But it was like this intuition. This it was like an intuitional pull that the idea just kind of formulated in my mind. Like, okay, I feel like I want to be in water right now. Yeah. And I think so many of the, so like a lot of the time we do feel these things naturally, like what our body needs. Um, and again, I think as physios, we're very good at educating on that piece. Right. Whereas again, the medical system doesn't often necessarily um, hone in on those kind of intuitive thoughts as much. Yeah. Yeah. I I just, I felt like my body guided me through different positions because at one point standing and leaning felt good at another point, standing upright felt much better. And then at one point, you know, leaning over like the, the top of the hospital bed in a kneeling position you know, just before transitioning to the second phase of labor, uh, Mm -hmm. that was like super comfortable for me. But my body told me what it wanted. Like I would go into a position and my body would be like, nope, not happening. Right. (laughs) It would just be so much more intense. And then you just switch to the next position. You're like, okay, this is, I can handle this better. Yeah. Um, So, so water. So you went to to water. What what other comfort measures were you sort of practicing, Um, utilizing? Yeah, my, my husband was pretty good at trying some of the counter pressure measures as well. Um, but a lot of just kind of being in my own mindset, thinking of my own breath, that definitely helped as well until we were kind of ready to go to the hospital, I would say. Amazing. Now, when you say counter pressure, because not everybody's going to understand, like yeah. you and I understand what that means, but uh, maybe you could share with the listeners what counter pressure means. Mm-hmm. So what he was doing was he was using two hands kind of pressing on my low back to try to create some pressure against my hips and against my low back area to help relieve some of that pressure. Because again, often with contractions, um, you'll feel a lot of of back pressure and it just helps kind of relieve some of that, that pressure through the back and through the the tailbone area. Yeah. And I would also imagine like, like, as I'm thinking about it, like it kind of slacks, the stretch like right because there's a lot of stretch happening and then mm-hmm. so, sometimes that counter pressure just helps to bring the tissue a little closer and put slack so that the stretch isn't as intensive absolutely and well yeah. it's just also different different input into the system right something yes, it allows you to uh, think on about something differently a you different feeling than the feeling you're feeling <laughs> right <laughs> yes Hence like the massage or like acupressure or like all of these different comfort measures. Like oftentimes it's, it's supposed to be a a distraction, a different input for your, so your mind can refocus on something other than the intensity of the contractions. Right. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. So you got to the hospital. Like what is, what was birthing? Well, I mean, you're birthing in a pandemic. So I'm curious as to like, what did that look like? How were you feeling? Um, you know, and like what, what happened ultimately? Yeah. I, I, so I, before we kind of jump into that, I know each hospital has different COVID protocols. Um, and we deliver it again in April. So it was very early in the pandemic. So I do understand that a lot of things have changed, but um, yes. I'll kind of talk about our experience. Um, so for us, um, we got to the hospital and they let us, we were both, um, we both had temperature checks and we both went up to the labor and delivery ward. Um, at that point, we found out that my husband was actually not supposed to be there because they wanted to triage me first, actually. So they actually sent him back down to the hospital, to the car to wait. Um, and then while they were assessing me to make sure, yes, that I was dilated enough to be admitted, um, then they actually called him up. So when they called him up again, they did a temperature check and they did our, they did a COVID screen and then went up. Um, throughout the whole time in the hospital, he was expected to wear a mask. Um, I did not have to wear a mask when I was laboring. However, I do know that some hospitals are asking um, if you are able to wear a mask then they're asking to keep it on. However, I did not have to. Um, even leading up to labor and delivery, I think we were talking um, amongst a few of us and saying, you know, maybe I should try to walk around the house wearing a, a mask like all day long and just seeing if I could like try to go for a walk with a mask on because I know that was again very new at that time we weren't used to wearing masks all day long so uh, luckily I didn't have to. Um, what was the other part of your question again? Well, well, uh, well that, that was that was yeah. like, you know, like, so that part, like just the yeah. getting into the labor delivery room, but then like, what happened with your late, like what, you know, what mm. happened with your labor, you know, what happened with the birth, like, and then we'll dive into like postpartum. Yeah. So I, um, at that point I was, I think I was four centimeters dilated. So not as far along as I thought I was going to be. Um, and definitely my contractions were strong, strong, strong. When they assessed me, they did think that baby was OP position. So that means the baby's face, instead of facing down towards the tailbone, they thought the baby's head was facing upwards. So not an ideal position. And then they also said that the way my contractions were presenting, it did sound like um, very typical pattern for a baby that's you know in that OP position. So I was having very long contractions. Um, at that point, I was still hoping not to have an epidural, but after, you know, going through the risks and benefits with the nursing staff there, given how I was feeling, like every time I had a contraction, I could feel my pelvic floor fighting, fighting, fighting it. Um, so at that point, I definitely knew that um, having the epidural was going to be the right thing for me. So sure enough, I had the epidural. I was able to rest so, so, so much more between contractions. Um, I could still feel the pressure with my contractions, but again, it was not nearly as like gripping and intense as it was um, without the epidural. So I was definitely glad that I had um, the epidural. So at that point we were, we continued laboring. Um, I labored until about seven centimeters um, and then they were monitoring my heart rate and everything and then at that point um, the nursing staff came in they had me change all kinds of positions because I guess baby's heart rate was not doing so well um, and even after maneuvering in a whole bunch of different positions I guess baby's heart rate was not recovering great and then that's when they actually 
it was a very quick decision, um, but they said that they, we would need to be going in for an emergency C-section. So uh, they wheeled me into the OR and um, I had my emergency C-section and baby Gabriel was born at that point. Amazing. And did you spend, did you have to spend some time in the hospital? Like how quickly were you discharged? We actually spent three nights in the hospital, which was quite long. Again, usually with um, a C-section delivery there, I believe it's 48 hours in the hospital. Um, but he'd actually, we actually have different blood type and he actually ended up developing um, pretty high jaundice levels. The bilirubin levels were quite high. So he was under light therapy for three days um, and we stayed in our little hospital room for three days straight. Again, because of the pandemic, we were not able to leave the room. We were not able to have visitors come over. We were not able to have food delivered at all. So um, it was a trying time. Again, three days straight in, in a hospital room was not ideal. But again, we were very thankful for the hospital staff there. And at the end of the day, um, our son was able to get, you know, the medical care that he needed as well. Yeah. Plus it allows, allowed me a little bit of time to allow my own C-section to start healing a little bit. The high, low bed of having the hospital bed was definitely helpful as well. Yeah. Awesome. Um, you know, you prepare, right? Like we want to prepare as much as we can for life's events. But at the end of the day, even us educated, you know, pelvic floor physios who, you know, have done everything, you know, we just don't know what's going to happen in the end. Um, when you look back, like, you, do you have any thoughts of like, oh, I put in all this effort and I didn't get it the way I wanted. And I, you know, do you regret all the preparation you did? Or like, do you think of it like, I'm so happy I prepared because, you know, I did everything that I could and, you know, it ended up the way that it ended up, but you know, I, I feel better for it anyways. Absolutely. Yeah. I think knowledge is power at the end of it. Right. Um, the more you can learn about the options you have for your labor and delivery, the more, you know, about, um, you know, medical interventions, what the postpartum healing process is going to look like after, um, it's just so much more of an empowering experience. Um, again, we see it probably all the time in clinic and you probably see the same thing where, you know, people come in after having a baby and, you know, we talk about positions for labor and delivery and often people will say, I had no idea that I didn't need to deliver on my back or I had no idea about the benefits of, of being upright. So having that knowledge and experience and having um, the ability to prepare is is, is so important regardless of how it, it ends up at the end of the day. I think that is probably the number one reason why I transitioned into prenatal care because I would see, like when I started out in pelvic health, like all I was really seeing was, you know, postpartum, right? And like sometimes even years and years postpartum, I wouldn't even say I was seeing people early postpartum when I first started because, you know, it, it just wasn't as quite mainstream or quite not like people just didn't know as much as they I feel like people know way more now, 
because I'm seeing actually people like saying, I Googled, oh, I learned that the pelvic floor is super important. Now I'm here. That wasn't happening when I started in pelvic health. So I was hearing, I wish somebody told me, I wish somebody told me that like, there's different ways to Kegel. I didn't even know what a reverse Kegel was, you know, like all of these things. And I kept, you know, and at first it'd be like, oh, well, yeah, yeah, of course you didn't know. Like a lot of people don't know. And it was just kind of like, here I am educating. And then the next person would say it. And then the next person. And then I was like, okay, we got a problem here. Yes. Right. Like this is highlighting, like people are not getting the information soon enough. And then they, and then sometimes I would even feel or like sense a little bit of a, not regret, but just like, I don't know if it's frustration or like maybe even a little bit of anger. Like, why didn't anybody tell me? Why didn't anybody tell me? Like I could have done something or I could, you know, like it's the feeling like I could have done something maybe that would have changed the outcome and maybe it would, maybe it wouldn't. The the thing is, is we can't go back to see. And I just sort of feel like, you know, if you can do, you know, things that are going to help kind of reduce the risks or optimize, why wouldn't I try as long as, you know, with no, if there's no side, you know, any major side effects or any like negative side effects, and it might actually help me, I would want to do it. And I would want to know about it, right? Yes. So interestingly enough, this is kind of how our pregnancy and postpartum program developed at our clinic was people were coming in and I know you kind of hesitated to use the word anger, but people were often a little bit frustrated and angry because they said, you know, I did everything I should have done. I went to prenatal classes. I, you know, I, I learned about the stages of labor. You know, I did everything that they recommended that I do, but why didn't anybody tell me that this, this, this could have happened or that I could have prepared this way or that this type of therapy was available. And at that point, this was, you know, probably about three years ago now where, Um, you know, we actually approached a number of different prenatal classes in our area and asked, you know, is it possible to provide some information about the pelvic floor, about upright laboring positions, about how to, you know, prepare for labor and delivery. And uh, like, unfortunately, a lot of those prenatal classes said, you know, our programs are jam packed with information. We, you know, there's, we talk about so much, so much other stuff, like there's really no, no space to talk about this. Um, So at that point, it was a little bit frustrating, but that's kind of where we said, you know, like this is where we need to develop something for ourselves because people are telling us that they want this information. How can we get it out there to people so that they are, they can be empowered in their own labor and deliveries and get this information that they're telling us would have been so helpful uh, leading up to labor and delivery. Yeah. And I feel like that has changed a little bit. I mean, well, certainly in my area, because, um, you know, as I started transitioning to helping women prepare for labor and delivery, like I was reaching out to um, many doulas in the, in the local area specifically because I knew people were going to them for prenatal education and like, listen, for my, for my pregnancy, like I went to a doula, I did hypnobirthing classes with her that included pre, they were, it was so informative, like, because I'm a pelvic floor physio does not mean I know anything, you know, at that time, I didn't know anything about laboring, like the process and the expulsion reflex and like how my body's designed to birth and like breastfeeding and solids and diapers and what kind of poop I'm looking for. Like I had no clue. So I think that information is so important. Like, 
that should not be, those prenatal classes should not be ignored. Absolutely. And in addition to, so thankfully, like when I reached out to the doulas in the local area, like they were pretty um, receptive to um, maybe not including that as part of theirs, but they were very receptive of including a piece about how important the pelvic floor is and you should find a pelvic floor physio, you know, in the, in the area. So they were really open about sharing the fact that it was important um, and like creating opportunities for me to come in to speak and things of that nature. But yeah, because they, 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 there really is a lot of info that they have to do. So I, so I totally get it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So awesome. So you created your, so you created your, your program. So, so what, like, what is that, uh, what does that piece look like? So what, what kinds of things? So right now we run, um, so we're actually out in, in Markham and we run a program, um, with Markham Stovall hospital where we actually run completely free educational sessions. Um, it's called growing pains. So it's all about pain during, um, pregnancy, you know, things that you can do, to help yourself move. We talk about exercise, really simple things about, you know, what you can do to, with the pelvic floor. How can you move more efficiently? How can you exercise? What does exercise look like um, in preparation for the rest of your pregnancy? We also talk about, a little bit about what pelvic floor physio is, that, you know, things like prolapse and incontinence and other things can be issues afterwards. Again, it's not meant to scare people, but again, it's meant to be an educational piece so that they're not super surprised after labor and delivery of something does happen. And, you know, I think just setting up some of those expectations for afterwards can definitely go a long way. And they know that help is available um, if they need it as well. So we run that and then we run um, another session called body preparation for the best birth possible. Um, And this is again, a more intensive program run by a pelvic floor physio, where we actually practice some of the upright birthing postures and we practice some of the exercises and we delve into things in a little bit more detail as well, leading up to labor and delivery. And now we're starting to build out our postpartum program, which is amazing. Yeah, which we'll 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 chat uh, sort of more in detail um, about that, uh, about that piece. Um, So I want to loop back now to like postpartum recovery, because here you are preparing for vaginal delivery. You end up with an emergency C-section. You know, what was recovery like? What were some things you knew you like should do, you know, in a, in a C-section, right? Like what were the things that you were doing that people probably may or may not know, you know, um, with respect to a C-section? Yeah, I was, I was definitely very mindful of, of how I was moving around. Um, so again, those first few days, having that high, low hospital bed was definitely helpful. So I propped myself all the way up, rolled to my side to get up out of bed. It was definitely a lot harder when I was home. Um, but again, I think a lot of people don't necessarily know, like maybe don't sit all the way up in bed because it can put a lot of strain on that scar. So, um, things like rolling to the side, having your, using your arms to help push yourself up was definitely very helpful for me. Um, so that was definitely helpful. I, as soon as I could, and as soon as kind of the bandages came off, I started doing my own scar desensitization very um, soon after. And, and all this is, it's nothing very fancy, but you know, it's a matter of just like 
running your hands over the scar, trying with maybe different textures, just to try to normalize that sensation um, in that area as soon as possible. Again, um, what we often see in clinic is that people will come in, you know, weeks, months, years after having a C-section and they'll often say, you know, my st scar still feels like super numb or I don't like the feeling of, of yoga pants on the area. So one of the first things we do in, in those instances is we try to desensitize the scar. We try to normalize those sensations, again, from a nervous system perspective as well. So I was very um, keen on doing that right off the bat. And then as the scar continued to heal up, I was definitely very diligent in, in starting a little bit of, of mobilization or just a little bit of, you know, getting the scar moving, getting the layers of tissue and fascia to slide and glide a little bit better over itself. Um, Amazing. Yeah. I, I, the number of clients that I've seen and I, and I'll ask them, do you ever touch your, have you ever touched your scar? Do you touch your scar? And they're like, no, nobody no. told me I should. And I'm yep. like, and, and they're, they're, you know, for some people, very, very sensitive still. And mm -hmm. I think that, that also some, you know, that there's some fear can develop around that, you know, like, why does, why is, why does it feel the way it feels? Why is it so uncomfortable? Why don't I like these sensations? And oftentimes when we have an unpleasant sensation, we think something is wrong or yeah. there's something bad has happened. And oftentimes it's really just that area is super sensitive. It's like new, yeah. it's like, it's like brand new skin, Right your nerve endings are different. Like you, we got to stimulate that area. Absolutely. And often, even though it may look really, really nice on the outside, we often don't necessarily think about everything else that has happened under those layers of, of, you know, of the surgery, right? Because at the end of the day, it is a major abdominal surgery, and we don't necessarily treat it that way. And the way we talk about recovery, we don't talk about it in the fact that it, it is healing from a major surgery. Yeah. When uh, so, uh, did you start exercising? Like, when did you start exercising? What did, What were some of the early exercises that you you know, started with, cause I think that's yeah. an important discussion, right. For post, <laughs> for postpartum rehab, right. Um, uh -huh. what were the things that you did? I started early, um, possibly earlier than again, often people will recommend, but again, I think having that really good insight in terms of my body and what I could do, I felt really good. So Interestingly enough, one of the first things that I started doing other than just like moving around my house. So I would say probably for the first, you know, many weeks, I was just kind of moving around in my house. But one of the first things that I did was I started just going out for like little walks down the street. Um, and again, being in the springtime when he was born, I was like, started actually pulling weeds and actually getting down on the ground and like working on that a little bit. Um, again, it was functional. It allowed me to be outside. I was, I was happy. I was able to get some fresh air. So for me, that was, it felt really, really good. Um, I started with some deep breathing. I started with even just trying to, you know, get that scar moving with my, my breath. And that's stuff that I started definitely day one. And then as I felt better and better, I was able to just slowly increase things that I like. So I went for longer walks. And as I was bending down for baby, I would start to incorporate some squats into my into my routine. Um, so it was all very gradual. And I, you know, it's, again, I 
tried to practice what I preach, right? We're trying to listen to our body, seeing how our body responds to the movement. Um, and we make an educated decision from there. Should I try to do more? Or maybe do I need to back off a little bit? Um, especially with any core work, I could feel that in lots of instances, there was pulling on, on my scar that I didn't like. And in those cases, again, I was able to back off. Um, but that's, that's the thing with postpartum recovery is that we need to listen to our bodies because how I healed is going to be very different than how someone else is going to heal. And it's not to say that one is better than the other, but it's that um, we know how to manage those sensations based on where we are in that healing process. Yeah, absolutely. And again, how much an area pulls will be different for every person with different types um, with different types of movements. Um, and we want to, we want to respect sensations, but we still have to move too. Right. And I think as, I think certainly as physios, you know, we have this knowledge of like, we know, you know, what the sensations mean and we know kind of where, where, where to sort of draw the line. Right. And that's where we kind of help people to say, okay, you know, this, you know, this amount of sensation doesn't mean tissue damage. This, kind of sensation means you probably, you know, should back off. And like, we oftentimes have discussions about like, where's the line? Yeah, absolutely. How much is too much? Or how do we know when we should maybe like pull the reins back a little bit? So yeah. but at the end, end insight. Mm-hmm. yeah, and I was gonna say, but at the end of the day, you know, the person is their own expert on their own body, right? So it's helping to empower them to feel confident in, you know, what they're interpreting their body is telling them. Mm-hmm. And having that guidance in terms of for, for our clients, for them to learn what their body is telling them and what those sensations might mean, I think is another big piece of it as well. So as your, as your healing, you know, process started, you know, when did you, did you, when did you start more like intensive, you know, core retraining, core rehab, you know, exercises, Depends on what you mean by intensive. <laughs> I don't know. Well, th- you tell me, you know, what, what's, so maybe let me, let me ask this in a different way, because I'm sure this probably has something also to do with like pandemic and not things not being easily accessible. Obviously weather plays a part in, you know, activity levels. Like what's it been like being a new mom, right? You're nine months in. What's it been like being a new mom in a pandemic? Yeah, it's, um, again, it's an incredibly humbling experience. I think, especially after working with so many new moms over the years, you know, you often hear how, how isolating it can be. Um, luckily, again, having given birth in the pandemic, my husband, who usually travels, has been home um, through all of this. He's been working from home, but even physically having somebody there in the house with you is it still can be very isolating. (laughs) Um, Finding time to, for myself, it's definitely hard. And I've been very grateful to come back to work and have adult conversation, but um, you know, that, that social isolation, especially in those first many months, especially during a pandemic, regardless if it's a pandemic or not really, but it can be very, isolating people often don't have the same village of people that they can lean on as as readily um 
that has been, again, I, I don't want to say it's been challenging because I am extremely grateful for the people that have been around me that have been there to help. But it is definitely one of those things that I was expecting, but I was not expecting it to, to hit the same way that it did. Yeah. I mean, it's hard in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Just like I, you know, you have this human now that like you have yeah. to figure out things and you know, is this normal? Is this not normal? And, and, you know, having, you know, let's say, you know, a mommy group or a group of friends who are in going through that, you, you know, that you can rely on. But I, I think also with the pandemic, just, there's just been so much other types of demands on attention that like, and, and space that it, it, it was, it hasn't, I mean, I found myself, it hasn't been as easy to stay in touch, even, you know, electronically it's just now my time is spent doing all sorts of other things that I wouldn't normally be doing because of you know the pandemic um so that's even hard right it's hard to socialize absolutely right and get in contact so yes absolutely that is tough so so you know what kinds of things um you know, were you trying to do knowing that, you know, it's hard and socialization is important? So what kinds of things have you tried to do or are doing to try to mitigate some of some of the the hardness? Yeah, I think, again, leaning into the people around me has been a, a huge piece of it. Um, and then one of the things that we are doing at the clinic as well is um, we've developed kind of a social support network for for new moms that are maybe going through some difficulty with their postpartum period. Um, this is a program that we had run through psychotherapy before, um, before the pandemic, and we've kind of recently relaunched it on an online program. Um, just knowing that, you know, we are not alone through all of this, and that, you know, a lot often you know, the stress and the anxiety and that unknown, um, we're all kind of going through it and we can be each other's village. And sometimes we just need a little bit of that guiding hand to figure out how to navigate some of these these challenges. Um, so again, I think as, as my baby has gotten older, it has been easier for me. Again, we've opened up um, a little bit more with some of our, our family members and whatnot. Um, and that has definitely helped. And again, I think just the age of, of my son now is a little bit easier, but just knowing that there are lots of other people that are going through similar situations, um, was definitely helpful, especially in those early days. Yeah. Yeah. So, so tell me a little bit more about the, this program. So like, what, what is it? Like, what's, what do you, what do you do? What is it? Like, how's it helpful? (laughs) Tell, tell us more about it. Yeah, so um, pre-pandemic, we were running this um, in person um, at the clinic. So it's a small group, psychotherapy-led um, psychotherapy support group. So it can be claimed under psychotherapy benefits led by a psychotherapist. Um, and it's a six-week program, and each week it builds on various aspects of motherhood. Um, through the pandemic, we had actually put this program on hold, but we kind of revamped it and we've actually relaunched it um, recently. So each week we talk about various things like, you know, what are the baby blues? What is postpartum depression? 
Um, what does it mean and how can it present as well? I think is another big thing because it's one thing to get the checklist of everything, but it's another thing of recognizing it in, in yourself. Um, we talk about stress, anxiety, burnout. We talk about um, sexual function. We talk about um, the postpartum body. And just again, coming from a physiotherapy background, this is one of the very few programs that actually does include some of the mental health aspects as well as the physical aspects. So just knowing that the physical and mental piece go hand in hand, we've really tried to, to pair those aspects together. Um, we talk about setting boundaries. We talk about how to communicate with your partner. Cause again, it's one of those things that, you know, I, we, my partner and I, we had really good communication strategies before all of this, but you know, the relationship is different. Um, all of a sudden you have this other mix of, of another human being in, in the, in the process of everything. And, you know, as good as your communication is, might be there are going to be challenges and again it's one of those things that I think we definitely are not prepared for so having that toolkit of, of ways to help manage that um, is really the purpose of this group and I imagine during a pandemic like you know when you're kind of in each other's faces literally like 24 7 plus and you know you have this baby it it could be it could feel really difficult in terms of like just having your own space and like how to navigate like you know, having some autonomy and like having, because I think, you know, when you, when, you know, when I think back to being a new mom, it's like, it became all about baby. And it was like, well, who am I now? Uh, you know, my body's now different. And it's like, is it ever going to go back? Like, is, am I going to go back to normal? And I put normal in air quotes and it's like, you know, having to come to grips with like, my body is now different. I am now different. And now I need to figure out what does this different me look like? And how do I, you know, how do I thrive? How do I still regain things that are mine while also simultaneously accepting that some things are now different. Right. And, and that's Mm -hmm. like, just even being able to like talk through that or like learn strategies and have like ideas from others who And also figuring out that other people are feeling the exact same way, right? It's like, you know, body image, you know, as you said, sexual function changes. And it's like, is it normal that I just don't feel like it right now? Right. And, and it's, and it changes and all, there's all these things that we don't necessarily think about, but they certainly do weigh on us. And then add a pandemic on top. I just, you know, I I can just see how that would be so much more challenging. Cause it's like difficult to get out of the house and like, where do you go with your baby? And like, even if you wanted to take a break to do something, everything's closed. Where do you go? Like, where, where do you catch your breath? Absolutely. Yeah. So the, this program is really set up to help tailor some of these strategies into your life again, cause all these strategies are not going to be um, suitable for everyone. But again, taking your own social situation and and your own personal situation, how do you take some of these strategies and build into your life so that, again, you can thrive in in your postpartum period? Yeah, I think it's so important. And so probably very much needed. (laughs) Um, 
So, Melissa, um, tell me, well, yes, tell me, but tell everybody else, like if people wanted to, um, you know, learn more about the programs, I mean, you've mentioned a, a variety of different services, both from like prenatal um, and obviously postpartum, like where can people find more information about your services offerings? And like, if they want to follow you, like, are you out there in the social media world? Like, tell us, tell us where you are. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you can find us on Facebook and Instagram. They're both under Markham Pelvic Health. And our website is MarkhamPelvicHealth.com. So it's super easy to remember. <laughs> Amazing. And of course, we'll put the links in the show notes, just in case you're driving or whatever, like don't don't stop to write it down like then it'll be there in the show notes. So it'll be easy for you to, uh, to find the, um, the handles and then get on social and follow Melissa. So amazing. Thank, thank you, you so much. I yeah. appreciate it. Well, thank you so much for, you know, opening up and like sharing your story and your journey. Um, cause you know, I think it's helpful for people to know, like we're humans too. And we, we go through things too, and we have to solve our problems and, you know, issues. And, and so that kind of, I think gives us extra fire to really help people. Cause you know, we can understand the impacts that it might be having to somebody's, um, life. So thanks for sharing and thank you for developing these programs and, you know, taking time out of your day to chat with me. Thank you so much for having me. And of course, we want to thank our listeners who join us, you know, um, for these episodes and we would love for you to join us every week. So that's easy to do. Just hit the subscribe button wherever you are listening to podcasts. And like this way, you'll be alerted when the next podcast is released because we always have cool guests. So you want to be up to date. So I encourage you to do that. And if you have anybody who's pregnant or postpartum, then of course, share out this episode um, so that we can get the information out there and we will connect with everybody on the next episode. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to Living a Better Life podcast. Make sure to subscribe to our show to stay up to date with our latest and greatest episodes. We would also love to hear your comments, suggestions, and reviews. Thanks again. Until the next episode. Bye for now.